Come on to my house and my house I'm gonna give you Apple, plum and apricot too. Come on to my house, my house, come on Come on to my house, my house, come on Come on to my house and my house I'm gonna give you Figs and dates and grapes and cakes Come on to my house, my house, come on You know, I, I absolutely love this song, do you? I love it. It's my ringtone on my phone. Really? Absolutely. It reminds me of my mom and all this. She wants to entertain Rosemary. She has all these people coming over and all this food is all laid out. And wait, it's all wait, about. Wait, what do you think this song is about, David? It's about entertaining. It's just about being generous and being open. And she's, you know, Italian. Or she, I mean, how is she Italian? David, that's what? not what she's talking about. She's talking about getting naked, David. No, Rosemary. No, you don't understand. This woman was in White Christmas. Nobody well, in White Christmas got naked. She, that she can't do that. No, I, I am not going there. I don't. It's like thinking your mom and dad, thinking about them having sex. I absolutely want to go there. Pure as a driven snow may be what you think, David, but this song is about having no, sex. Like, I am never going to think that. I am sorry. I'm going to hold the pure Rosemary Clooney in my heart as a woman who likes to entertain and give people food. Denial. You're in denial. Fine. We can agree to disagree. How's that? Okay. And I'm still keeping it as my ringtone. <laughs> Come on to my house, my house. I'm gonna give you everything, everything, everything. Come on to my house. Welcome to the first episode of our new podcast, Talking With My Mouthful. I am David Leet, the Leet and the website Leet's Culinario. And I'm Renee Shetler-Rossi, the site's editor-in-chief. Now, as you can see, Renee and I... Don't really agree on anything, especially well, that's our, not exactly true. our musical interpretations. Okay. But we did agree upon one thing. We wanted to have a podcast. Yes. Right? We wanted to bring everything to life. The personalities, the cookbook authors. And also some of the people that we've been writing about for years who we call the beloveds. It's about time they step forward and you got to know them. For example, in this first podcast, our advice guys, Mark Scarborough and Bruce Weinstein, are going to bear it all for you. But if you follow the site, you know that they never cook naked. Never. We're also going to play favorites, turning to writer, blogger, and cookbook author mm. Jess, Thompson, Jess Thompson, who's here to regale us with tales of her worst kitchen disaster ever. And my partner of two decades, the inimitable The One, parentheses, who brings me love, joy, and happiness, parentheses. And I give a very long overdue homage to that great, great television series, Green Acres. All this and plenty more after a word from our sponsor. Has this ever happened to you? Monsieur, madame, may I help you choose a wine? Yes, uh, please. My wife is having the poached sea bass, and I'm having the roasted double pork chop with mushrooms and bacon. Ah, oui, monsieur. And uh, is there a wine that you'd recommend that would go with both? Ah, mais oui, mais oui, monsieur. A burgundy, absolument. And this... 2002, Vosnet Romine is a Grand Cru from the Perfect Terroir with a slight hint of menu and the nose. Me, uh, what? Menu? But how do you Americans say? Cow poop. Oh. Oui. And the, the mouthfeel and a long finish of a Emescaf. Um, thank you for that suggestion. Can you give us a minute? Whatever you wish, monsieur. Give us a minute. What did he say, Harold? I have no idea, Beth. No idea. Harold and Beth need the new WineWise app for the iPhone. 
Just open up WineWise and it will tell you what pretentious sommeliers everywhere are really saying. A burgundy, absolument. I don't know a freaking thing about wine. And my French accent? Totally bogus. I've never stepped a foot in France, let alone left Brooklyn. But I know that if I can make you feel inferior and insecure enough, you won't hesitate to spend more than your monthly mortgage payment on a bottle of wine. I just made you my bitch. And WineWise records both the sommelier and the translation. Play both for the manager, and you just got yourself a free bottle of Vasne Rominet. Thanks, WineWise. You're welcome, Harold. WineWise, at the App Store now. One crummy line, David. You give me one crummy line. You gave Tom, our producer, four lines for Harold. What can I say? I don't write women very well. You can say that again. I don't think I've ever told you, one of the parts of the site that I love most yeah. totally cracks me up, <laughs> the Never Cook Naked guys. Well, they're hysterical. And that's why we've invited these scantily clad fellows, Mark Scarborough and Bruce Weinstein, here to answer some of your burning questions about cooking. Mark and Bruce, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's our pleasure to be here. Thanks, Renee. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Thanks, Renee, for having us. Our pleasure. And I just want to clarify for everybody who's not here in the studio that Mark and Bruce are fully clothed. With scarves <laughs> and jackets right now. <laughs> it's cold. Yes. David, where did this scantily clad name come from? You mean never cook naked? Yes. Well, it came from me having... Cook naked one time because I naked. always naked because what ends up happening for me is I get smell of grease in my hair. I have quite a lot of hair. And um, so I get a smell of grease in my hair and my clothes and then guests come in and I always smell awful. So well, why don't you just shower like most people do? Okay. Well, because the reason why is I usually am so late and screaming and so anxious. I don't have enough time. So anyway, what I did one time was I decided I would basically strip down I would make what I had to make and then dress myself and I would be all pretty and perfect. Well, no one told me when I would start sautéing that I would be fringing and singeing my right, nether regions. Right, right. So that's where never cook naked. It's a really good piece of advice, everyone. Do not cook naked, ever. As ever. if that didn't occur to most people who have some shred of common sense. I'm sure there are some people who probably have cooked semi-naked at least. But anyway, so I, we have some questions from readers for you two. And the first one is, if you're cooking with liquor, does it really truly burn off? I think somehow this woman's worried about her six-year-old getting drunk at dinner or something. Why don't you take this, Bruce? <laughs> some of it will, but not much. Oh. And, you know, there will always be some residual alcohol. But if you're worried about your kid, look, if you're putting a half a cup of wine to deglaze a roast mm -hmm. that's going to mm -hmm. serve 12 people, there's not going to be enough alcohol left in there for you to worry about by the time you divide it out, your kid having a right. taste of that stew. But if you have someone coming over who absolutely can't have alcohol, mm -hmm. I mean, they are like serious about being sober, then speak to them. Or allergic. Or, well, if they're yeah. allergic to ethanol, well, mm -hmm. oh, I'm so sorry. Well, I really feel bad <laughs> for them. That's sad. You put... Uh, alcohol in a pan saute and you leave it over the heat for two minutes at a good bubble, you're still left with about 80% residual ethanol. 
in the pan saute. Okay, 80% of what there yeah. was. Well, it's a lot, except think about, again, so you have a half a cup of wine went in. There may be 80% of the alcohol that was in that half a cup of wine, but mm-hmm. that's not that much divided up over six tape plates. So my suggestion, and we do this with friends who are sober, mm-hmm. I will say, is it okay for me to cook with wine? Mm-hmm. You know, And that way I ask them, and some, some say yes and some say no. So if you're concerned about... Your kids, I don't think you really have anything to worry about unless, now let me say this, if you're serving like a cheese fondue mm-hmm. where you've melted two cups of cheese in a bottle of wine, right. sure. you can get a little buzzy eating cheese fondue. <laughs> you sure really? the wine. Really? I loved fondue. The kids, when I was six. the kids will be asking for fondue every Tuesday night. <laughs> so that that is something because you're even not bringing that to a boil. So, right. you know, if two of you down a whole pot of fondue, you're each having about half a bottle of wine. And although so, that, and that's on a pan saute, and when you do it in a yeah. braise with the cover on the, 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 the pot in the oven, you actually keep more ethanol because you have less evaporation. Exactly. Yeah, of the time. liquid. Well, speaking of kids, we've yeah. got another reader who asked us just several weeks ago on Facebook for a cookie recipe that didn't have eggs because she wanted to let her kids have some of the dough. And we have one of those recipes, fortunately. You know, Alice Madrick, who's just the queen of all things sweet, has this amazing ultra-thin, crisp chocolate chunk cookie recipe that just happens to not have eggs. Uh, So we gave that to her, but I couldn't help but wonder, really? Well, um, you know, let's just say that there is a great divide in the world of eggs. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that I, at this moment in in culinary history, would necessarily eat raw cookie dough with eggs from, a, from you know, just run-of-the-mill places. That said, were I buying eggs from a farmer's market, right. from mm-hmm. a local producer that yeah. I could trust— well, I feel a little better about it. A little bit, except the eggs that we buy at our farmer's market are covered with um, <coughs> there chicken poop. Okay. Lots yeah. of chicken poop. <laughs> you got to wash poop the, on eggs. the show. Now we have chicken poop <laughs> on the show. But that's okay. You can wash them and yeah, you can exactly. wash them off and put them in a bowl of water with a cap full of bleach mm-hmm. for five minutes and that will clean right them off. off. But uh, I agree with Mark completely. When I make. Um, when I make salad dressings with egg yolks, I will not do it with supermarket eggs, but mm-hmm. I will do it with eggs that we buy from organic farmers or farmers near us where we live. And I think it's really important to think that if you if you think you're going to eat raw eggs mm-hmm. in cookie dough or in salad dressing, make sure you crack those eggs on a flat surface, not on the yep. side of the bowl, where you can drive shell fragments into the egg, which can bring contamination inside. Very Great Make sure you crack them on a flat surface. And I just want to say that I am here for 52 years, and I've eaten my share of raw cookie dough made with eggs from supermarkets, and I have not died. Well, there okay, you there so you are. there's another side of the story. My <laughs> little sister and I used to make cookie dough all the time, and we would make half the batch. And we would keep the rest, the rest in the fridge and eat Absolutely. it over the course of a oh, day. When I was a kid, my mother, when I was sick, her thing to fix was what she called egg shakes, which was just egg and milk shaken up mm. in a cocktail oh. shaker. Kind of like Rocky. Yeah, and poured <laughs> out. And that's what she would give me when I was sick. So I ate plenty of raw eggs when I was and sick. David, let me plug a great um, eggless cookie recipe. In uh-huh. our book, The Ultimate Chocolate Cookie Book, uh-huh. we have a vegan chocolate chip cookie recipe that has no eggs in it. Mm-hmm. And it's got tahini and oats and maple syrup. Ooh. It is like that sounds a fabulous. recipe. Okay. Go out there and buy that, folks. Then we have one last question, which actually I have to say is my question. A lot of people have asked me this, and I just thought I would ask you this, is that when you're creaming butter and sugar, everyone says beat until fluffy. Define fluffy. <laughs> and I thought you two were the perfect guys to define fluffy. So hard. Fluffy, think about icing. 
You know, what is uh, spreadable? Mm-hmm. It's going to be softer than um, than butter right out of the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Ideally, you want to beat it so much that there's actually no grains left when you feel it. But that's hard. I mean, that's it like that beating it for a, a day and a half. Yeah. Now, the more you beat it, if you're making a cake, the better it's going to be. So beat it as long as you, your arm can stand or if you have an electric mixer. Your Arm can stand. This is not France. Let me cookie dough with the whisk. Your arm can stand. That's 55 years ago, 60 years ago. <laughs> and remember, you bought that giant, big-ass mixer for a reason. Absolutely. And it is made for creaming butter and yep. sugar. And you know recipes that say the butter should be at room temperature? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's before people had these mixers. And butter had to be at room I temperature see. to be able to beat it. And that has really changed, and recipe writing hasn't really caught up. So every time you see a cookie recipe that says butter should be at room temperature, it's wrong. But would you take it right out of the refrigerator? I can't imagine. I do. If if I'm doing it in my KitchenAid mixer or the big stand mixer, ice cold, because the colder it is, explain it more. Your your refrigerator is at about 40, Mm -hmm. about, and butter needs to be below about 60 degrees Fahrenheit to trap air. So by the time you get it out of your refrigerator and cut it into a few cubes and throw it in your bowl, Mm -hmm. the temperature is going fast down, especially on the surface planes of it. And so, fast up, right, fast up. Bruce is signaling to me. Fast up. And I was working on Kelvin or something. And, um, fast <laughs> Negative up. Kelvin. Reverse Negative Kelvin. Kelvin. Reverse and so Kelvin. you really want to make sure that that butter is cold. I take it right out of the fridge. And Interesting. I, I do not. I let it go down to about maybe, what temperature? Maybe about 60 degrees. Or come up to, reverse yeah, yeah. Kelvin here, up to about 60. And then I will well, use 60 it. 60 is okay. But if you go any more than that and you start letting it get to room temperature, it's too soft. It doesn't trap enough air and you get thin mm-hmm. cookies. And mm-hmm. the, the number one spread. question people ask when we do... Demos, it doesn't matter, we could be demoing fish. Mm-hmm. You have questions? How come my cookies are too thin? I mean, the only weirder question I get is that, are you Emeril Lagasse? Which I've gotten a number from. <laughs> but what we always say, are you using butter at room temperature? And the answer is always yes. Yeah. And it's always, next time take it out of the fridge and your cookies this. will be thicker. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It's fun. Mark Scarborough and Bruce Weinstein are perhaps two of the most prolific food writers and cookbook authors today. They've written more books than I have gray hairs. Their latest book is Grain Mains, as in Maine Courses. So, David, hmm. tell me, you must have a kitchen nightmare. Well, of course I do. I have tons of them. Which one do you want to hear? The worst one ever. Ah, the worst one ever. I think that was when I was baking a pie and the fire department showed up. Oh, Lord. I know. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear about that. But in the meantime, we've invited food writer, cookbook author, and longtime LC food writer mm. Jess Thompson to join us. I know, Jess, that you can regale us with your tales of kitchen woe. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hey, Jess. Hi, David. So tell us, what is your worst kitchen disaster, your worst nightmare? Well, I too have had a fire department experience, but all the firemen ended up being really good looking. So that was actually not my worst. (laughs) (laughs) My fire department men weren't that good looking. (laughs) Well, you you really have to choose where you live based on the firemen. (laughs) But um, for me, when I do, when I have a real kitchen disaster, it tends to be physically impressive. And I think for my worst disaster, I'd have to go with the time I made enchilada soft sauce with my now husband uh, in my parents' home when I was about 19. Mm -hmm. 
um, it was one of those things where when you're first learning to cook, you embark on a giant journey, and your eyes are always a little bit bigger than your culinary talent, as the case may be. When we decided to make enchilada sauce from scratch for the first time, um, we gathered tomatoes and peppers and onions and roasted everything up and, you know, spent the better part of the day sort of preparing to whiz everything together in the blender. So this was kind of a long, leisurely, loving kind of day. It was very leisurely. It was very novice. We were definitely um, exploring uncharted territory. Was there beer um, involved? I'm not sure, which means probably. <laughs> the fact that you can't remember that beer was involved means there probably was beer involved. Right. Well, I mean, it's also like we were making this giant sort of Mexican feast. and I mean, it might have been beer. There might have been margaritas. I'm not sure. Um, mm, tequila. I know. So we got everything all ready. We put all of the ingredients into the blender. Mm-hmm. And when I turned the blender on, it was almost like a horror movie. It was <laughs> like this. there was this deep red viscous liquid suddenly seeping out from the bottom of the blender oh, Jess. down the oh. kitchen cabinets onto the white tile floor it was running the across summer. the floor which might not have been totally level <laughs> and suddenly my then boyfriend and I are, are just covered head to toe because of course my immediate reaction when something started leaking from the bottom of the blender was not to turn the blender off it was to take the top off so, <laughs> so we had things coming out both ends and um we we didn't really have much sauce in the end for enchiladas um but it's something that we laugh about to this day what what had happened it turns out is that we had failed to put the rubber gasket in the bottom Ah, of the blender that's that's important so you end up having tacos with a little dribble of enchilada sauce i think we ended up making quesadillas with the tortillas and we ended up just eating the chicken. Uh, I don't think there was any sauce involved in our meal, but we had a lovely meal nonetheless, and we laugh about it to this day. And a great story. Yeah. So, David, fire Mm -hmm. department, divulge. All right. Well, I want to know. Jess, they really weren't as attractive as yours, I believe. But anyway, this was in Roxbury, Connecticut, and I was making Melissa Clark's pecan pie. And it requires all these different ingredients. And so I decided to walk away from the stove just for a few, not even a few oh, minutes. Rule just number a, one, you're breaking oh, the first rule, I David. know, I know, I know. But I just walked away for a few seconds to get something off of my desk. When I came back in, it was billowing, billowing black smoke in the kitchen. Were you toasting the nuts for the pie or were you, was the pie already in the oven? No, I was reducing. There was maple syrup and there was also some other ingredients that I was reducing. You walked away from the from stove. Caramel. Exactly. <laughs> From caramel. For a few seconds. It wasn't as if I walked around the block and jogged or something. I just walked from the kitchen to my office and back. So billowing black smoke. So, uh, you know, fine. That's perfectly fine. But then the alarm goes off. And it's this really wailing, wailing alarm. And we have three cats and they're freaking out. So the first thing I do is I open the two French doors in the front of the house, the French door in the back, and I start waving it with a spatula trying to get all the smoke out. (laughs) Which is perfect, because the first thing you want to do when you start a fire is tell all the neighbors that you've done something. Exactly. Exactly. So there's this wailing, wailing going on. So I eventually got the wailing to stop. And then the worst sound in the world, 10 seconds went by, and this wailing of the Central Fire Department in Roxbury, Connecticut went off. And the stupid thing is, I didn't do, very much like you said with the top of the blender... What didn't I do? I left the pot on the stove with the heat under it. All I had to do was throw the damn thing out in the snow. So finally, I threw the damn thing out in the snow, 
And the fire department came, and they was it was very embarrassing because they're like, "Is there a fire in here?" I'm like, "No, I was just making a pie, and it kind of got a little messy, and like all the guys are getting on their gear and all this stuff." And then the worst thing, the most embarrassing thing, is that night a friend of ours was at a party. And there was a guy who was interested in her, and they were chatting and talking. And she says, well, what do you do? He says, well, I'm a fireman. He says, oh, this bizarre no. thing happened today. This guy <laughs> says he was trying to bake a pie, and this alarm went off, and there was nothing going on, and he didn't really quite understand what was going on. And, of course, it was me, and my friend told him it was me, and then it got around in all the social circles that David Leith, the food writer in Roxbury, Connecticut, almost burned down his house. The and that shame. is the end of this story. <laughs> all right, Jess, you've had enough of your own disasters. So what advice would you give our listeners when they have their own? Well, I think, you know, as in life, when you make a mistake in the kitchen, you, you have to move on. Life goes on. I think it's, you know, you have to deal with the matter at hand. If, um, say, you have enchilada sauce running down your walls, it might be good to clean that up. It might be good to shoo the fire department away if they're around. Or take but, the pan off the stove. Right, exactly. Things like that need to be taken care of, and then you move on, because there's nothing you can do to erase what's happened. So I think in in general, it's it's like any other of life's most important lessons. You learn, and you move on. Well, it's interesting you say that, because we have a section on the site called Honest Entertaining. And what that is, at least for me, is that it's all this craziness about entertaining and everything looking perfect, and we all feel so inadequate. And we want to be able to help all of our readers and all of our listeners understand that it's just part of the process. And someday, it'll be hilarious. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you, Jess. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure talking to you. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jess. Jess Thompson's latest book is Dishing Up Washington, 150 Recipes That Capture Authentic Regional Flavors. She also blogs at Hogwash, and you can follow her on Twitter. Her handle is on food and life, all one word. following the David blog, that's B-L-A-H-G, mind you, you know that David loves the country life in Connecticut, whereas the one adores the city life in New York. Now, I got to say, I've known them for years, and they're a terrific, terrific couple. But this city country thing, well, let's just say they don't see eye to eye. For me, farm living is the life I lead. Land spreading out so far and wide. Keep Manhattan, just give me that countryside. New York is where I'd rather stay. I get allergic smelling hay. I just adore Penthouse View. Darling, I love you, but give me Fifth Avenue. So Fifth Avenue? Yeah. Park Avenue is not good enough for you? Absolutely not. I would rather face the park than look at Park Avenue. All right. I don't see the big draw. So you've been in the city for a while. I've been up in Connecticut. A while? Oh, you mean recently. 
recently, and I've been mm-hmm. up in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you have explored? One of those marvelous <laughs> things that you always regale me of when you come to Connecticut. Well, I've been doing a lot of things. I mean, restaurants, I'm getting ready to go to the theater, but one of the most exciting things that I did recently mm-hmm. was go to the Gagosian um, Art Gallery. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that? You don't know that gallery. I mean, you've talked about it. I haven't been. Gagosian's a great dealer, and this was his Chelsea gallery, where they had an exhibit of Basquiat, Jean-Michel Basquiat. No, I Are know you who familiar? that is. Of course oh, I know who that is. I saw the movie with you. Oh, you saw the movie? Mm-hmm. Okay, and what did you learn from the movie? He died too young, and he made too much money. <laughs> and drank a lot, and, and, and did a lot of coke. Yeah, lots of coke. In fact, I think he had a hole in his nose. An extra hole in his nose. <laughs> but uh, Basquiat, if you are not real familiar with Basquiat, he was an African-American artist mm-hmm. who actually was born in, I think it was 1960 or something like that. And he lived to 27 years old. And he actually, he started out by doing graffiti, graffiti art at 15 years old. He left mm-hmm. his home in Brooklyn. You know, he was just one of these real great stories as far as uh, uh, somebody who achieved a lot, especially in the African-American community. But he did these vibrant, vibrant paintings that mm-hmm. included a lot of symbolism. And uh, this, this exhibit, it's like 50 different paintings. Mm-hmm. They're taken from private homes. It's uh, stuff that goes in owns and I'm sure it wants to sell. I just love his work. So, yeah, well, you know, blah, 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 art, blah, art. So what art have you seen in Connecticut? The view outside of my office. I've got four acres to look out upon and I see devil cat killing squirrels and mice. And I think they call that performance art. <laughs> that could be performance art. <laughs> <laughs> but really, what are you doing in the country? Well, I'm working, and and I'm chained to my desk Mm -hmm. most of the time. But I have been getting out a little bit. I went to Mamie's. Oh, really? What is Mamie's? Mamie's is a local restaurant that I went to, and I had lunch there with our contractor because, as you know, and I don't think everyone else knows that we're getting our kitchen renovated. And I had a lovely little lunch there, and I saw some people there, (laughs) and I went to the post office. Oh, how exciting. Oh, my goodness, yeah. But there are a lot of things coming down the line, you realize. Yeah, like what? Well, you know, I am determined, I don't care what you say, to raise chickens Mm -hmm. this summer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and basically what you're doing with the chickens is you're providing dinner or lunch for the wolves. No, no. I'm or the coyotes or whoever eat the I'm chickens. I'm providing eggs for you and me to be mm-hmm. able to bake. That's what I'm I'm going to have all this great fencing all around mm-hmm. because I really want to be able to start I home. It's, please. It's absolutely not happening. I disagree with you because I think you're not there most of the time. You'll just arrive one day and you'll see all these chickens in the backyard. I'm living off the land. I want, I want, to, I want to have a very small carbon footprint. I want to uh-huh. be able to go in the backyard and pull the vegetables out from the... From the uh, oh, let the, me ask you a question. Last that, year when I planted mm-hmm. 12 um, things of sun gold tomatoes and I planted herbs and I planted... Uh, what else did I plant in the garden? Whatever I planted in the garden. And how many times did you go out and pick anything? I, I, I photographed them. Uh-huh. I, we have different... Different roles yeah. with the garden. I photograph and I tweet and I blog about it, and mm-hmm. then you know you do the work. Yeah, I mean, exactly. So you're not telling fun. the truth there. No, I am telling. T- I want to. I'm you saying I want, want to. Do oh, this. that's yes. a different. So thing, I want yeah. to be able to have the garden. I want the Fifth Avenue penthouse. Well, you better start working a lot harder if you want to fit that in your penthouse, yeah, well. I'll tell you right now. So it's the same as you as the, with the chickens and the uh, vegetable garden. Chickens are very inexpensive. We can and feel- what, what do you feed these chickens? Chicken food. Uh-huh. You know, feed. Chick- uh-huh. Which means you need to get up out of your office in the house mm-hmm. that you rarely leave and go and feed these chickens. And how are you going to do that? Early in the morning. I think they eat at 6 a.m. That's what I've heard from farmers. Do they have like 
food dispensers. They probably have food dispensers. Mm. Mm-hmm. For chickens, mm-hmm. yeah. And this is you, you are not going to rain on my parade. I want to be able to have those chicks. I want to be able to do something a little bit more close to the earth. I want to start composting. Mm-hmm. I want to do that. I want to have the chickens, and um, I don't want to go any. I want to have bees. 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 Oh, what are they for? Honey. Uh huh. You know that yeah. honey comes from bees. Uh huh. And I want to have. Bees. And who is most prone to have accidents? Well, I am. But the thing those is, those bees would... will eat you up. <laughs> I, would, I would hire a beekeeper. Oh, oh! So, so now we have somebody to take care of the chickens. We have somebody to take care of the bees. Mm-hmm. And then, what are you doing? What I always do best: oversee, direct, exactly, mm-hmm. direct. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so enough of that in the country. What about any restaurants in the city? Anything good? Where have you been? Where have I been? Yeah, where, where, are you going? where am I going? Where are you going? Yeah, I've been to a lot of good places. I'm going. I'm very, very excited. I have these. Um, Clients who have become friends mm-hmm. who live between Germany and Italy, mm-hmm. and then they, they have a beautiful apartment here in New York, and they are coming into town next week. And next, we always get together and go to restaurants. The unfortunate thing is when they email me and say, what is the most exciting restaurants that we should go to when we're in New York? I have to say, I'll have to find out because I really don't know, you know, and it's very embarrassing because then they You're send me. You're very New York, aren't yes, you? Yes, I'm You're very, very New, New York. York. Well, you know me. But anyway, so then they send me a list of where might be a good place to go. So where are you go. going? So we're going to this place called The Marrow. The Marrow. The Marrow in Greenwich Village. Right. Which I've I'm heard of that. Ve- you've heard of it? I have. Oh, good. It's it's sounds very exciting to me. I mean, as you know, I love Marrow. Mm-hmm. I love any... Dishes oh, they serve are, marrow there. They actually serve marrow. Oh. They have a starter that is a that is a marrow. And let me see, what do they put with it? They put it with sea urchin, fried potatoes, uh, mayor lemon aioli, and baby celery greens. Now, does that not sound delicious? Mm-hmm. That does. That really does. I've already figured out my menu that you, I'm going you to have. have what else are you going to have? Well, I'm torn between the roasted whole hen of the wood mushrooms. You know, I love those, which is served with cardin cream with kale, frise salad, and truffled mushroom juice. You're going to have an entire vegetarian well, course? Well, let me tell you. Well, that's my thought, you know, because I really like that. But they also have a duck schnitzel. Oh, there I, you I've go. never heard of duck schnitzel. I would do that. And duck schnitzel with a quail spetzel. Spetzel, as our friend Janet would say. Spetzel, right. but I think it's spetzel, right? I don't know. Um, hazelnuts, cucumber, potato salad, and stewed wolfberries. Now, I don't even know what a wolfberry is, but it sounded interesting. See, now me. that is something that I would have. Yeah. Well, they have a lot of interesting things there. So I'm very excited to go. And then I'm told that you told me that I need to eat some dessert that you want the me to cake, eat. The cake, because New York Magazine named the marrow as having the best cake for 2013. Which is what? Which is this wonderful, dense sort of spice cake. And mm. it's as big as a brick. And it can, they say it can feed four lumberjacks. Really? So you have to bring some back home to Connecticut. Well, it so just I can depends how much we eat. Well, I, I get your own. Bring home a piece for me. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Well, you know, it's funny. They didn't have the desserts on the menu, so they well, might not have it. They we'll will have, have the cake, I can assure you. And they have a 400-bottle wine selection. So my friends are really into wine. So the wine will probably cost us more money than the dinner. Well, you know what? Not a lot is happening in the country. So I'm I'm sure I have won this round. But you just wait till the the summer comes around when there's all those things just blooming and bursting and just exploding all over the place as far as food. And I can just reach my hand into the the brook and pull out some sort of fish or something like that. I'll just... Or have somebody do it for you. That too, I'll pay them. But the truth of the matter is I will be able to uh, win round two. I doubt it. Mon cher... It was a pleasure. Likewise, I'm sure. 
So Renee, before we finish, tell me, what are some of the upcoming dishes we have on the specials board on the homepage? Well, it's spring, finally. I know. So we're thinking green things. But lest you think that sounds too healthful. Yeah, you know me, I'm fatty daddy. Exactly. So in classic Elsie fashion, we've got recipes that are insanely indulgent. Like this one that I really want to tell you about. It's fiddlehead ferns Mm -hmm. with burrata cheese. Which is, as we know, the... Porn star of the mozzarella world, right? Exactly. It's got a consistency that's really ooey and gooey and somewhere between, you know, room temperature fresh mozzarella and butter. Yeah. And so anyways, you take the burrata and you jumble it together with blanched fiddlehead ferns. Mm -hmm. And then you just drizzle it with this slightly sweet, ever so slightly tart sherry vinaigrette. And it's lovely. Exactly. Even I would eat those fiddlehead ferns and those greens. I'll believe that when I see it. I'll prove it to you. This is David Leet from Leet's Culinaria. And Renee Shetler-Rossi. And the one. Thanks for listening. And catch us next time when I'm sure to be talking with my mouth full. Me too. Me too.